excuse me. <clears throat> but we are sure of the judgment of God is according to the truth and against them which uh, commit such things. Thinkest thou this, O man, that thou judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despisest the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart tre uh, treasurest up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the re revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who render every man according to his deeds and to them by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of the persons with God. For as many as are sinned without the law shall perish also without the law. And as many as have been sinned in the law have shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are the law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the mean of which while accusing or else excusing one another. In the, day of the Lord, uh, in the day when the Lord shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. And I'll stop there. That's a pretty... It's a pretty intense passage there, isn't it? He says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that judgest. For wherein the judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest dost the same thing. Again, going back to this, we are not the judge of anything, but yet we are the servants. Doesn't mean that we can't appraise something spiritually according to Scripture and judge whether it's worthy of us doing it or not. But there was a difficulty there with some things going on that he wanted to draw attention to. He says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. What things? The things that are contrary to the teachings of God. What are those things? Idolatry? Adultery? Greed? Corruptness? Those things are, are things that we, that, that we know that are dealt with in this world. He says, And think thou this of, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. We talked about this last Sunday night about keeping our eyes focused on the Lord, on the things above rather than on the things of this earth. Because when we do take our eyes off those things, there are distractions. There are things that we struggle with in this flesh that the Lord can help us overcome. We just have to be obedient and faithful and set, set ourselves aside for doing the service of the Lord. We can't run back and forth between the two. 
There is no no way to do that. Why? The scripture says those that do that are guilty of the blood of Christ. I mean, there's nothing you can get you can't get around that anyway. So he says, or the deepest of thou, the riches of, the, of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the revelation of righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. As stewards and slaves servants of the Lord, we we can try to usurp the authority of God, but it won't work. Why? Because there is judgment there. There's an expectation of judgment or reward if we do those things diligently. I like what we've been talking about in Hebrews. That's a good thing. Those brethren didn't understand. They were they were they were still trying to get a grasp on what the New Testament teachings were. And what did he want them to do? He wanted them to understand that there was a finite working to these things. That the Old Testament law was done away with. And that they needed to look towards the principles and the teachings of Christ. Because that was the better way. He says what? He was established after the workings of the order of Melchizedek. That was a pretty, pretty good operation there. There was no offering of sacrifice there, was there? But it was the sacrifice of their own service to God. So, we have to, we have to examine these things. We can't just pick up this book once a week or once every now and again and expect to understand it. We have to submit ourselves in prayer. We have to encourage one another. There's things that Brother Ed will call out that I, don't, that I haven't necessarily understood. And probably vice versa. Same thing with the rest of us. It's, we all have that, that ability. But that's how it works. That's how the servant-slave relationship works. We're co-heirs. We're responsible to one another. Let's look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse 18. John chapter 21, verse 18. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But then, excuse me, but when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he, would, he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, Follow me. And then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciples whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said unto the Lord, Which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith unto the Lord, And what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? Follow thou me. 
Then went this way, uh, uh, this, this saying abroad amongst the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said no thing unto them, and he shall not die, but if I will, that he will tarry till I come. What is that to thee? This is the disciple which testified these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which they, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the book that it should be written. Amen. So Jesus was talking with the disciples about who would who would be the one to betray him. We all knew that was Judas, according to the account of Scripture. But what does this have to do with what we've been studying over here? It has everything to do with it. He says, well, who is this guy that's going to do this to you? It seemed to indicate that he was pretty upset about who was going to do this. <laughs> Let's get a hold of him. Let's get a hold of him. But what did Jesus tell him? If I will tarry, if if I will that he will tarry till I come, what is it to thee? Follow thou me. Don't worry about that. You need to follow me. Why was that so important? He had given them a, a work and a commission that they were supposed to carry out. The things that, that happen in this world against us, they're going to continue to happen whether we want them to or not. But the point is not to be overcome with the difficulties that we face as servants. But we're ultimately responsible one to another. They still had work to do, whether, that, whether Judas committed what he did or not. Look at Second Corinthians chapter ten. And verse eighteen. It says, For not he that commended himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. That's the only verse I'll read there. Pretty simple, don't you think? Set it back over where we read in First Corinthians two. For he, let's read it again. For he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So, what I told you earlier about the advice that that brother gave me about approval of men, that's where that comes from. If the Lord commends it, then that's all we need to be concerned with. Doing his work. Being concerned with other men outside or, you know, the praise of them that surround us, we need to be concerned with the praise of the Lord and pleasing Him. <clears throat> Let's look back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll go back to verse 6. It says, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So he says there, I transferred this to, to, to myself and Apollos. He says, I put the fault on, on us. Why? Because we were elevated to this point. 
And he didn't want them to be concerned with that. He says, put that on us. He says that ye might learn in this and us not to think of men that which above which is written. What was that? That we are servants. None of us are above one another or have any authority except whom? Jesus Christ. He says, for who maketh thee to differ from another and what thou hast that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, and now ye are rich, and have reigned as kings without us. And I would to do ye, that I would to God ye did reign, that ye might reign without with us. Excuse me, with you. So he's saying these things. You act as though you didn't receive them. He says there's no difference between one from another. Whether you received it from Apollos or whether you received it from me, there's no difference. Maybe just how it was delivered. He says, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou didst not receive it. Hmm. There's some difficulty there. Now ye are full and now you've made rich. So the problem is what? They had all this problem. They've all been puffed up and there. I've got something going on. But yet that's not what the scripture is talking about there. So he says, they already had a wonderful position. Being in Christ. But then Paul goes on there in verse 9. He says, For I think that God has sent forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we were made a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. The apostles had a hard work to do. They were going around establishing these churches by the authority given to them in Christ. They were the ones challenging the norm. They were the ones establishing these churches in places where it was not well received. Why? Because the apostles were appointed to death. That was a hard work going around establishing those churches because people didn't want to hear it. And he was trying to encourage them. You, you've got a good position. These churches are established and you, you have an honorable position. Is because we're going to go out there and do these things and and work. Even under the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling places. They have the benefit of being, they're established. But these apostles, they were, they didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They were thirsty, they were naked, they needed clothing, and they had no certain dwelling place. Why? They knew the Lord would provide those things. A lot of the places that they went, the brethren there would help them with clothing and food and needs and they would work to provide for themselves so they could have those things. He says there, and labor working with uh, he says, and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. 
We are made as filth to the world of the world and are of offscouring of all things unto this day. I write these things not to shame you, but my beloved sons, I warn you. They knew what their work was to do, was to encourage the brethren, start these works, and proclaim the gospel. But it wasn't so that these brethren back in Corinth could just revel in their own difficulties and, you know, act like kings and act and, and put themselves on a pedestal to claim I'm from this person or I'm from that person. But it was so that they could do the work of God in Christ. That was the point Paul was trying to get across. He said, I write it not to shame you, but I write it to warn you, beloved sons. Don't get that mindset. It says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have, have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. So he says, you have, you have these, these people that are, that are teachers for you. Says, for though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, ye have ye not many fathers. So the Lord used him to establish these works and he brought the gospel. But it was because of Christ. He says, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, followers of me. For this cause I have sent you unto Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which is, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So he sent Timotheus to him, why? To continue to encourage them and build them up. He says, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ? To remind him that, that, they're not subject to these things, but they're subject to Christ. Not to men. He says, now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will. And will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love or in a spirit of meekness? He said, some of you already said I'm not coming, but I'm coming. Why? He says, by the power of God. He says, therefore, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. How's that power demonstrated? It's demonstrated in us. But he said there, what is it that you'll see? What is it in ye? What is the rod? The rod is discipline and is the opposite. Not, not the opposite. You can demonstrate discipline in love. But in love and in the spirit of meekness. I'm sure Brother Paul would rather come to them in the spirit of meekness and in love than he would in, in discipline. But he wanted them to realize the importance of what that they were encountering there and how to fix it. That was the encouragement there. Moving beyond the division, what did you say? Back up to 
the first part of chapter four, and we'll read those first couple of verses again. In verse one, it says, let a man of so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. But with ye, it is a very small thing that I should be judge of, uh, be judge of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, but that nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. We are fellow servants. Yes, we're given to be stewards of the Lord's work. We're not masters over one another, but Christ is the master of all. By whose authority? By God's authority. So let us remember these things. It's not one man that establishes the work here or there, but it is the Lord that uses them to establish that work. And then it is the fellow servants that carry out that work continually in place. We're not judge of one another, but we are aids and helps to one another. That is the way it's to be designed. And if we're not, we need to make sure that we are changing ourselves into the likeness of Christ as the scripture intends for us to be. While we still have the opportunity. Because the master will return at some point and the steward will have to give an accounting of what's happened. And it will either be one of judgment or it will be one of, one of reward. I don't know about y'all, but I would rather be on the reward end of that. He shall make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if the servant say in his heart, My Lord, be let his cometh and shall begin to beat the, what's that? Men, Men servants and uh, maidens and eat and drink and not to be drunken. And then the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And the slave who knew his masters will build, will and do not get ready or act in accordance with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And given from everyone who has been given, much will be required. And to whom has been much entrusted of him, they will all uh, will ask all the more. So we know things historically based on the counts of slaves or servants. Um, typically, uh, there was little differentiation between the two. Um, typically, I, when I think of something, I think of a slave or a servant, I think of somebody that's indentured to someone to serve to the will of the one that owns them or the one that they're under, under the charge of. Um, I used to always think when I was a kid that a servant was one that chose to be a servant willingly and a slave was one that was enslaved for the purpose of serving. So um, <clears throat> I've just kind of always followed that I know there may there's dif difference in that, but the point kind of gets across there. Um, <clears throat> we aren't as servants of the Lord. We aren't slaves against 
our own will, but we willingly do this. So to serve the Lord, we've made a choice to do that. So we've made a choice to live to live as a servant. Why wouldn't we be prepared for the Lord's return? <clears throat> so the expectation of a slave is, or a servant is to be ready for their master. That is that they are given the expectation that they're to be prepared at all times to serve their master's purpose or their will. Um, I think in in terms of current day, we don't have servants or slaves, particularly here in the U.S., um, but we are we have service based industries, which is kind of like servant you know servants. So um, whether it's preparing food or health care or home care you know, things like that. The expectation is that we're prepared for any event. (laughs) Um, Most recently that we can be aware of is this, as the the pandemic that we've been dealing with. We weren't prepared to deal with all of these things. So hence we've had supply issues. We've had uh, all of these present day issues that we've had regarding supplies and, and things being prepared for our use. One thing I think about is uh, also when we talk about being ready for something, we uh, encounter all kinds of manners of of uh, disasters, storm, you know, thunderstorms, tornadoes, fires, earthquakes, tsunamis. You know, these things are things that we we hear about and we've either been through some of them ourselves. So, how does one prepare for those things? Well, if you get to fire, you have a fire escape plan, don't you? Or, you know, um, if you have an earthquake, you have a plan to protect yourselves from any falling rubble. You find a desk or get under something that you can, you know, be sturdy enough to hold that debris. Um, A tornado, you seek shelter in a tornado shelter in a basement or in the interior room of your home away from windows to protect you from flying debris. So... Same thing for the coming of the Lord. We have to have a, we have a plan in place. We have a, a manual to tell us what we need to do to be prepared for that. Um, but the true question is, is how many people actually know the manual frontwards, backwards, forwards, and sideways, for lack of a better word? Um, doesn't just mean that we're to know what these words say, but we're able to practice them and live them and carry them out on a daily basis. So it's not like anything that we prepare for in healthcare or, or disasters, but it's something that we definitely should be prepared for as servants. So the intention of us reading this particular passage was for us to get an understanding of, of the preparation that they've got there. Those last couple verses, he talks about the one the master of the slave that will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces in the sign of place of the believers. What did the first thing he did there before that verse? He said, my master will be a long time coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. So he misuses the Lord's, his Lord's supplies and the things that the Lord intended for use in his house for, for whatever function. And begins to beat his fellow slaves. Of course, we know that he didn't have authority except for what the master gave him. So was he properly prepared when the master returned? He wasn't. 
And what was the expectation when the master came? He was, he says he was, he was, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Well, what's, what's an unbeliever? And and I meant to have this wrote down. Seventy-one. I know it's different in the, in the King James Version. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Um, the word there was was meaning those that disbelieve. It says without without faith, untrustworthy, incredible. Those that believe not, faithless, also calls them an infidel. These are spoken of things which are distrustful, heathen, pagan, or those that do not believe on Christ so as to be the idea of impiety. So the other synonym there that it uses is disobedient. So to assign him a place with those that are, that are unfaithful or, or disobedient. So that gives the expectation that we have to make some kind of a preparation in our service to God. We talked about a little bit about this morning over in Corinthians where we read about what a steward was and what a servant was supposed to do. And we're given charge over things in the Lord's work. And we have, we have the expectations that we're supposed to do those in, in faith, just as Israel was supposed to fulfill the things under the law. So let's look at um, Luke chapter 16. I referenced this this morning just briefly, but let's read verses 1 through 18. We'll kind of follow the, we'll do six verses apiece instead of five this time. And uh, I'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a certain rich man who was a steward, and his steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to, him, uh, said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? Am I not strong enough to dig? Am I ashamed to beg? I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their house. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe your master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down and quickly write fifty. You'll start in verse 10. And then he <clears throat> said to another, How much oil thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write four score. And the Lord commandeth the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in, in their generation wiser than the children of light and I said to you make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail they may receive you into everlasting 
habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least so faithful, also in much. He that is just and the least is unjust, also in much. Therefore, yet ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, and will com commit to your trust the true riches. How far do I need to read down there? Um, you can keep reading if you want to. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. If you want to read through to verse 14, I'll pick up the last four verses. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is your hearts and for which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John, and since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. That it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away from the, for, uh, away than for the one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. And we'll stop there. So, reading the account of the unrighteous steward, which is something we mentioned again this morning, seems that when he was called into question regarding his accounting of the stewardship, he asked himself, he's like, what, what am I going to do? He says, now that I'm not going to have any place to go, he says, maybe I can you know, reconcile this with, my, with the debtors and maybe they'll take me in. So what he did then was he went and reconciled those accounts with those individuals and, and it seems like he cut a portion of that down. Well, the master praised him for it, for, his kind, uh, for, for the way he handled himself. He says, then there, and how, uh, he goes, and how much do you owe? A hundred measures of meat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So he discounted him about 20%. That's a pretty good discount there. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because of the acts really for the sons of this age are more true than the rela uh, in relation than their own kind and the sons of light. Well, the the point of this, this scenario was as for us in terms of our actions to be aware of how we're doing things. This This person was unrighteous in his doings. Well, he was still entrusted with the stewardship, was he not? It says he was. So his Lord held him to account. He's like, all right, you haven't done the right thing and this is what's going to happen to you. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to try to figure out how to get out of this. And as a result, he did receive some praise. But the intention of, of, of the parable is for us to be aware of the things that we do. He says, and I say to you, make friends of yourselves by means of which the mammon of righteousness 
uh, by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, when it fails, they will receive you into their eternal dwellings. There is one thing he does say there. He says that when it fails, what's it? There's there's something there when it fails. Well, when mammon fails, well, we we know that mammon, and I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm too young to be missing my memory. <laughs> so, mammon means, this is the comprehensive words of all kinds, possessions, earnings, gains, wealth, riches. Preserve, uh, it's wealth as which the one serves it doesn't serve God. So when it says there, and if they say to you, make friends of yourselves by means of the mammon, that's the, the riches, it says the riches of unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. So the scripture tells us we can't serve one and the other. We have to, we have to serve either God or mammon. So, I, I mean, he says there, he who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much, and he is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous also in much. The Lord wasn't trying to be confusing there. He was trying to get him to understand that, that when all of it, when it fails, which is the current conditions that we see in this world, when the system we know it fails, that we might have someone that might help us. He says, he who is faithful. Hmm. Is also faithful in much. So he says, we, we can be faithful. He says, the, well, he who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. So the same standard is given to us that if we're faithful, if we can't be faithful in, in a little bit, we can't be faithful in a lot, can we? This is also there, and he who is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous also in much. So it says there, if therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with the true riches? So if we can't even can't even utilize the the, the riches of this world, how can we be entrusted with the riches of the Lord? That ought, to, that ought to bother us to our soul, you know. We have to make, we have to be prepared in our service to the Lord. And that goes in regards to our whole life, how we, how we handle our, how we handle ourselves financially, how we handle ourselves between one another, and how we handle ourselves towards those who are outside in the world. Mm-hmm. It says, and if you have not been faithful in the use of the a use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I mean, my brother would not let me use something in, when I was younger because he think he he knew I wouldn't treat it the way he would treat it. So typically, when you let your cousin or or a friend borrow something. You can't treat you. You better be able to trust them to treat it the way you would treat it. <laughs> Mom always told us, "You treat it like it was your own, but better." <laughs> and 
And if you can't, then you can't borrow it. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times we would lend something to somebody and they would not treat it the same way. And it would either return damaged or not return at all. <laughs> so, same way with when we use something of someone else's. If we're, if we're to be an example to those around us and somebody lends us something, we better be able to return it in, in, in great condition or, you know, or not, because why? It gives them an opportunity to blaspheme the Lord because we're servants of the Lord. So he says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I always took that to mean, you know, besides the riches of this world, you just, you can't serve the things that you put above God and serve God. There's just no way that that can happen. We've seen that accounting there in the scripture where Israel went back and forth. What happened? The golden calf. People died. The Lord swallowed them up. Achan took the things under the ban. That's why they failed at the battle of Ai. As a result, 36 men died. Not only that, his whole house, Achan's house all perished. Because of uh, because of Achan's sins, so we we ha uh, what we do has an effect on others around us, not just ourselves. But we we can't serve the Lord. It just goes to show you we cannot serve the Lord and serve the things of this world. So it says now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening and all these things and they were scoffing at him. They're like, well, I don't. I don't see what this is all about. My money doesn't never done anything wrong to anybody else. Well, <laughs> they were lifted up in pride. They they weren't they didn't want to be taught by some lowly Jewish man who come from some little town in <laughs> Nazareth, Nazareth or somewhere in in that area. How can he tell us about what what we've got to do in our lives? So they were already puffed up in what they were doing. They didn't care. They cared more about their riches than they cared about the rest of the stuff. It says they were lovers of money. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. That was a scripture this morning that I was kind of referencing, but I couldn't remember exactly where it was. Yeah. It says, uh, to justify yourself. That's not a good thing. You're trying to reconcile what you're doing is right in the sight of men, but not to God. It says God knows your hearts. Same thing we mentioned with, with um, Abijah this morning was, I called him Abishai, but it's Abijah, was that he just, and he was, when Samuel called him before him, he justified him He's like, this guy looks like he's a good fit. Lord said, nope. I know his heart. And I see the end. You see the outside of Ben. And you judge. But he says, I see the hearts and judge. So he knew that, that there was something not reconciling with a true servant of God. in Abijah's heart. So the same thing here. He says, God knows our hearts. Like we mentioned this morning that and in the end, God will reveal the motives of, of men's hearts. So, if we are truly a, a faithful servant, then 
He knows what our heart, what our, what's in our hearts. That's right. It says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, since the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Hmm. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. He says, Since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everywhere is, everyone is forcing his way into it. Well, forcing his way into something, you're not going to get very far unless you use brute force sometimes, right? Somebody breaks into your house and you're standing at the door pushing back. The only way they're going to get through is brute force, but it doesn't mean that they're, they have lawful entry, right? Well, the thing he's trying to demonstrate here is he's saying all these people are trying to get their way into the kingdom, but they're not going to, by force, but they're not going to get their way. No. There's only one way to do that, and it's by living and in in, in abiding in the will and the in the will of the body of Christ. He says, "But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the law, a letter of the law, to fail." Everyone, I'm gonna read there. He says, "Than one stroke of the letter of the law to fail." Hmm. So it's eager for heaven and earth to pass away. What do you suppose he meant by that? It'd be a lot easier for that thing for that to all go away. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, what what is written in the, is written. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a law. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not living under the law as such, but I mean, what Jesus taught us and what the apostles teach us. Absolutely, and these and these men here were seeking to change the change the the way that Christ had the way that Christ they didn't want to listen to exactly what Christ was, but the law was written and the prophecy was fulfilled there and Christ coming. So there wasn't any way those those Jewish brethren that he was talking to were going to be able to change that or force their way into into the kingdom of God by by any means necessary. Right. He said, you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve mammon. That's right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And verse 1. We've got 13 verses there. Do we want to split it up? I haven't got there yet. And, uh, you read. What did you say, verse 1? Verse 1, yeah. If you'll read verse 1 through verse. Six, I'll read the rest. Okay. <clears throat> About the ten virgins? Yes. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took new oil, Took no oil with them, 
But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Where did you say to go? Uh, verse 6. And then, uh, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us to, uh, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make purchase, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins were also came, and Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, Truly I say unto you, I do not know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So we're all pretty familiar with the, with the parable of the, of the ten virgins. Um, one of the things is, is that it was talking about the kingdom of heaven there. And as the ten virgins were those that were, some were prepared for the return of the bridegroom and some weren't. The, those that were prepared had already purchased their oil. They had already trimmed their lamps. They, they were ready for the, the impending arrival of the bridegroom. And there were five that were, they called the foolish virgins, who did not make the most of their time. They were not prepared with the oil. And they were not ready for his impending arrival. Although they didn't know the time he was coming, they could still be prepared in order to go out and receive the bridegroom. So he says there, <clears throat> five foolish, five prudent. So we know that, that some were prepared and some weren't. He says, then the foolish, uh, the foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in their flask along with their lamps. And the bridegroom delayed. So apparently they were all going out to meet him and, the, and those five said, well, he's not going to come too late so we won't need any oil. You know, one can surmise that just by reading that part. But he says there, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Hmm. So, how, how, is, it, how is this like, like any servant today of the Lord? I mean, it, it, it's still very true and applicable today. We have an opportunity to be prepared. All of these young women were eligible. They were eligible virgins. They were ready to be married. They met the standard of the day. They weren't defiled by anything else. So they were all ready to be part of a marriage relationship. But were they were they meeting those those things required of a good of a good virgin, of a good marital opportunity. Were they faithful? Were they obedient? Yes, they I mean they were they were faithful. They hadn't been defiled. But one of the things that you notice is were they ready? Mm -hmm. They had all the resources given to them and they were not ready. We have the same opportunity, we have the same tools. We have the oil. 
We have the old, we have the Word of God, we have the New Testament covenant that we have an opportunity to partake in. And we're given steps for how to be, how to present ourselves as faithful unto the Lord. But do we truly take and apply those things and are we truly prepared for the impending arrival of the Lord? Some will and some won't, unfortunately. But he says there, but the prudent answered saying, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some some for yourself. Well, it's not that they didn't give them an opportunity to be prepared, but they wouldn't have enough to be prepared themselves. Yeah. So it wasn't that they were being unkind to them. But, you know, you ever had that one person that you've dealt with that's always totally unprepared? And after so long, it's like, okay, why are you not prepared? You know, I always had that one friend in school. Show up to school, you're supposed to have pen, paper, and any other supplies you needed for school. How many people do you know that showed up without half those things? There's a lot of people that showed up most days. Yeah. Like, Can I borrow a pen? <laughs> Can I have some paper? Can I see your homework? No. You can't see my homework. You do your own. <laughs> I'll help you with your homework if you'll get prepared. <laughs> yeah, if it was prepared before you mm -hmm. got to school. So, you know, I'll help you with your next assignment. Just come see me at my house and we will work through the problem. Yeah. So, they all knew this and I'm... You know, I'm not going to jump out of limb there and assume all these facts that aren't disclosed here, but but you know that there was an opportunity for them to be prepared. They knew he was coming. They just didn't know exactly what hour he was going to be there. It said he delayed. So are we the same way? Are we being prepared each day for our service to the Lord and his return? Well, I think there are some folks that are going to be sadly disappointed when the Lord returns. Well, you got to work on it every day. It's, I mean, it's an everyday work. He says, And while they are going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who weren't ready went in with him at the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Kaput. Mm -hmm. Final. And they called on him, and he says, I don't know you. Truly, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Right. We do not physically know the day nor the hour of the Lord's return, but we do know one thing. Time draws on. We see the things being fulfilled that the Lord that the Lord said would happen, and we better be prepared for it. Otherwise, our reward will be just like these five foolish virgins. The door shut. No admittance. <laughs> so, Faithful or unfaithful, we got we've got we've got a choice, but are we going to be happy with the choice we made when the time comes? So, being a servant, if we're servants of the Lord, we entered into this agreement because we want to serve the Lord. We want to be pleasing. We want to 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 do the things that He's mentioned in this book faithfully. But we've said we did. Are we going to back it up? <laughs>
so that was the the purpose and intent was to kind of go back over and look at a couple of those places and kind of went hand in hand with what we talked about a little bit this morning with regards to being a steward or a servant. And that's what we have this evening. Amen. Anything else? Have you left us a book? He shall make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if the servant say in his heart, my Lord be let his cometh, and shall begin to beat the, what's that? Men servants and uh, maidens and eat and drink and not to be drunken. And then the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And a slave who knew his masters will build, will and do not get ready or act in accordance with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And given from everyone who has been given, much will be required. And to whom has been much entrusted... Of him, they will all uh, will ask all the more. So, we know things historically based on the counts of slaves or servants. Um, typically, uh, there was little differentiation between the two. Um, typically, I when I think of something, I think of a slave or a servant. I think of somebody that's indentured to someone to serve to the will of the one that owns them or the one that they're under under the charge of. Um, I used to always think when I was a kid that a servant was one that chose to be a servant willingly and a slave was one that was enslaved for the purpose of serving. So um, <clears throat> I've just kind of always followed that. I know there may, there's dif- difference in that, but the point kind of gets across there. Um, <clears throat> we aren't, as servants of the Lord, we aren't slaves against our own will, but we willingly do this. So to serve the Lord, we've made a choice to do that. So we've made a choice to live, to live as a servant. Why wouldn't we be prepared for the Lord's return? <clears throat> so the expectation of a slave is, or a servant is to be ready for their master. That is that they are given the expectation that they're to be prepared at all times to serve their master's purpose or their will. Um, I think in in terms of current day, we don't have servants or slaves, particularly here in the U.S., um, but we are we have service based industries, which is kind of like servant, you know, servants. So um, whether it's preparing food or healthcare or home care you know, things like that, the expectation is that we're prepared for any event. <laughs> um, most recently that we can be aware of is this, as the, the pandemic that we've been dealing with. We weren't prepared to deal with all of these things, so hence we've had supply issues, we've had uh, all of these present-day issues that we've had regarding supplies and, and things being prepared for our use. Well, one thing I think about is... Uh, also, when we talk about being ready for something, we encounter all kinds of manners of, of uh, disasters, storm, you know, thunderstorms, tornadoes, uh, 
fires, earthquakes, tsunamis. You know, these things are things that we, we hear about and we've either been through some of them ourselves. So how does one prepare for those things? Well, if you get to fire, you have a fire escape plan, don't you? Or, you know, um, if you have an earthquake, you have a plan to protect yourselves from any falling rubble. You find a desk or get under something that you can, you know, be sturdy enough to hold that debris. Um, a tornado, you seek shelter in a tornado shelter or in a basement or in the interior room of your home away from windows to protect you from flying debris. So, same thing for the coming of the Lord. We have to have a, we have a plan in place. We have a, a manual to tell us what we need to do to be prepared for that. Um, but the true question is, is how many people actually know the manual frontwards, backwards, forwards, and sideways, for lack of a better word? Um, doesn't just mean that we're to know what these words say, but we're able to practice them and live them and carry them out on a daily basis. So it's not like anything that we prepare for in healthcare or, or disasters, but it's something that we definitely should be prepared for as servants. So the intention of us reading this particular passage was for us to get an understanding of, of the preparation that they've got there. Those last couple verses, he talks about the one the master of the slave that will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and assign him a place to other believers. What did the first thing he did there before that verse? He said, my master will be a long time coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. So he misuses the Lord's, his Lord's supplies and the things that the Lord intended for use in his house for, for whatever function. And begins to beat his fellow slaves. Of course, we know that he didn't have authority except for what the master gave him. So was he properly prepared when the master returned? He wasn't. And what was the expectation when the master came? He was, he says he was, he was, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Well, what's, what's an unbeliever? And and I meant to have this wrote down. It's five seventy-one. I know it's different in the, in the King James version. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Um, the word there was was meaning those that disbelieve. This is without without faith untrustworthy, incredible. Those that believe not, faithless, also calls them an infidel. These are spoken of things which are distrustful, heathen, pagan, or those that do not believe on Christ, so as to be the idea of impiety. So the other synonym there that it uses is disobedient. So to assign them a place with those that are, that are unfaithful or, or disobedient. So that gives the expectation that we have to make some kind of a preparation in our service to God. We talked about a little bit about this morning over in Corinthians where we read about what a steward was and what a servant was supposed to do. And we're given charge over things in the Lord's work. And we have, 
we have the expectations that we're supposed to do those in, in faith, just as Israel was supposed to fulfill the things under the law. So let's look at um, Luke chapter 16. references this morning just briefly but let's read verses 1 through 18 we'll kind of follow the we'll do six verses a piece instead of five this time and uh, I'll read verses 1 through 5 it says now he was also saying to the disciples there was a certain rich man who was a steward and his steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions and he called him and said to him, What is it that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to, him, uh, said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? Am I not strong enough to dig? Am I ashamed to beg? I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they will receive me into their house. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, How much do you owe your master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, and sit down and quickly write fifty. You'll start in verse 10. And then he <clears throat> said to another, How much oil thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill, and write four score. And the Lord commandeth the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in in their generation wiser than the children of light and I said you make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations he that is faithful in that which is least so faithful also in much. He that is just and the least is unjust also in much. Therefore, yet ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon and will com commit to your trust the true riches. How far do I need to read down there? Um, you can keep reading if you want to. <laughs> Go ahead. Help. If you want to read through to verse 14, I'll pick up the last four verses. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. 
For that which is your hearts and for which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John, and since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. That it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away from the, for uh, away, than for the one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. And we'll stop there. So, reading the account of the unrighteous steward, which is something we mentioned again this morning, seems that when he was called into question regarding his accounting of the stewardship. He asked himself, he's like, what What am I going to do? He says, now that I'm not going to have any place to go, he says, maybe I can you know, reconcile this with, my, with the debtors and maybe they'll take me in. So what he did then was he went and reconciled those accounts with those individuals and, and it seems like he cut a portion of that down. Well, the master praised him for it, for, his kind, uh, for, for the way he handled himself. He says, then there... And how, uh, he goes, and how much do you owe? A hundred measures of meat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So he discounted him about 20%. That's a pretty good discount there. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because of the acts really for the sons of this age are more true than the rela- uh, in, in relation than their own kind and the sons of light. Well, the the point of this, this scenario was as for us, in terms of our actions, to be aware of how we're doing things. This this person was unrighteous in his doings. Well, he was still entrusted with the stewardship, was he not? It says he was. So his Lord held him to account. He's like, all right, you haven't done the right thing, and this is what's going to happen to you. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to try to figure out how to get out of this. And as a result, he did receive some praise. But... The intention of, of, of the parable is for us to be aware of the things that we do. He says, and I say to you, make friends of yourselves by means of which the mammon of righteousness, uh, by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, when it fails, they will receive you into their eternal dwellings. There is one thing he does say there. He says, that when it fails, what's it? There's, there's something there when it fails. Well, when mammon fails, well, we we know that mammon, and I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm too young to be missing my memory. <laughs> so, mammon means... This is the comprehensive words of all kinds, possessions, earnings, gains, wealth, riches. Preserve, uh, it's wealth as which the one serves it doesn't serve God. So when it says there, and if they say to you, make friends of yourselves by means of the mammon, that's the, the riches, it says the riches of unrighteousness. So the scripture tells us we can't serve one and the other. We have to we have to serve either God or Mammon. So I mean, he says there, he who is faithful in very little things is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous also in much. 
Lord wasn't trying to be confusing there. He was trying to get them to understand that that when all of it when it fails, which is the current conditions that we see in this world, when the system we know it fails, that we might have someone that might help us. He says, "He who is faithful is also faithful in much." So he says, "We." We can be faithful. He says, the, well, he who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. So the same standard is given to us that if we're faithful, if we can't be faithful in, in a little bit, we can't be faithful in a lot, can we? He says also there, and he who is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous also in much. So it says there, if therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with the true riches? So if we can't even can't even utilize the, the, the riches of this world, how can we be entrusted with the riches of the Lord? That ought to that ought to bother us to our soul, you know. We have to make we have to be prepared in our service to the Lord. And that goes in regards to our whole life, how we how we handle our how we handle ourselves financially, how we handle ourselves between one another, and how we handle ourselves towards those who are outside in the world. Mm-hmm. It says, and if you have not been faithful in the use of the uh, use of that which is another's. Who will give you that which is your own? I mean, my brother would not let me use something in, when I was younger because he think he he knew I wouldn't treat it the way he would treat it. So typically, when you let your cousin or or a friend borrow something, you can't treat you you better be able to trust them to treat it the way you would treat it. <laughs> Mom always told us, "You treat it like it was your own, but better." <laughs> And if you can't, then you can't borrow it. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times we would lend something to somebody and they would not treat it the same way and it would either return damaged or not return at all. <laughs> so, same way with when we use something of someone else's. If we're, if we're to be an example to those around us and somebody lends us something, we better be able to return it in, in, in great condition or, you know, or not, because why? It gives them an opportunity to blaspheme the Lord because we're servants of the Lord. So he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I always took that to mean, you know, besides the riches of this world, you just, you can't serve the things that you put above God and serve God. There's just no way that that can happen. We've seen that accounting there in the scripture where Israel went back and forth. What happened? The golden calf. People died. The Lord swallowed them up. Achan took the things under the ban. That's why they failed at the battle of Ai. As a result, 36 men died. Not only that, his whole house, Achan's house all perished. Because of because of Achan's sins, so 
we, we ha- what we do has an effect on others around us, not just ourselves. But we, we can't serve the Lord. It just goes to show you, we cannot serve the Lord and serve the things of this world. So it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening and all these things and they were scoffing at him. They're like, well, I don't, I don't see what this is all about. My money doesn't never done anything wrong to anybody else. Well, <laughs> they were lifted up in pride. They they weren't they didn't want to be taught by some lowly Jewish man who come from some little town in <laughs> Nazareth, Nazareth or somewhere in in that area. How can he tell us about what what we've got to do in our lives? So they were already puffed up in what they were doing. They didn't care. They cared more about their riches than they cared about the rest of the stuff. It says they were lovers of money. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. That was a scripture this morning I was kind of referencing, but I couldn't remember exactly where it was. Yeah. It says, uh, to justify yourself. That's not a good thing. You're trying to reconcile what you're doing is right in the sight of men, but not to God. Since God knows your hearts. Same thing we mentioned with, with um, Abijah this morning was, I called him Abishai, but it's Abijah, was that he just, and he was, when Samuel called him before him, he justified him He's like, this guy looks like he's a good fit. The Lord said, nope. I know his heart. And I see the end. You see the outside of Ben. And you judge. But he says, I see the hearts and judge. So he knew that, that there was something not reconciling with the true servant of God in Elijah's heart. So the same thing here. He says, God knows our hearts. Like we mentioned this morning that and in the end, God will reveal the motives of, of men's hearts. So, if we are truly a, a faithful servant, then He knows what our heart, what our, what's in our hearts. That's right. It says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Hmm. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. He says, since then the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached and everywhere is, everyone is forcing his way into it. Well, forcing his way into something, you're not going to get very far unless you use brute force sometimes, right? Somebody breaks into your house and you're standing at the door pushing back. The only way they're going to get through is brute force, but it doesn't mean that they're, they have lawful entry, right? Well, the thing he's trying to demonstrate here is he's saying, all these people are trying to get their way into the kingdom, but they're not going to, by force, but they're not going to get their way. No. There's only one way to do that, and it's by living and in in, in abiding in the, will, in, the, in the will of the body of Christ. He says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the law, a letter of the law, to fail. Everyone, I'm going to read there. He says, than one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Hmm. So it's eager for heaven and earth to pass away. What do you suppose he meant by that? 
be a lot easier for that pink that to all go away. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, what what is written in the, is written. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the law. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not living under the law as such, but I mean, what Jesus taught us and what the apostles teach us, we can't change it. Absolutely, and these and these men here were seeking to change the change the the way that Christ had. The way that Christ, they didn't want to listen to exactly what Christ was. But the law was written, and the prophecy was fulfilled there, and Christ coming. So there wasn't any way those, those Jewish brethren that he was talking to were going to be able to change that or force their way into, into the kingdom of God by, by any means necessary. Right. He said, you're going to serve the Lord, or you're going to serve mammon. That's right. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 1. We've got 13 verses there and we want to split it up. What did you say, verse 1? Verse 1, yeah. If you'll read verse 1 through verse 6, I'll read the rest. Okay. <clears throat> About the ten virgins? Yes. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five, five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Where did you say to go? Uh, verse 6. And then, uh, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us to, uh, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make purchase, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins were also came, and Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, and said, Truly I say unto you, I do not know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So we're all pretty familiar with it with the parable of the of the ten virgins. Um, one of the things is is that it was talking about the kingdom of heaven there. And as the ten virgins were those that were some were prepared for the return of the bridegroom and some weren't. The, those that were prepared had already purchased their oil. They had already trimmed their lamps. They, they were ready for the, the impending arrival of the bridegroom. 
And there were five that were, they call the foolish virgins, who did not make the most of their time. They were not prepared with the oil. And they were not ready for his impending arrival. Although they didn't know the time he was coming, they could still be prepared in order to go out and receive the bridegroom. So he says there, <clears throat> five foolish, five prudent. So we know that, that some were prepared and some weren't. He says, then the foolish, uh, the foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in their flask along with their lamps. And the bridegroom delayed. So apparently they were all going out to meet him and, the, and those five said, well, he's not going to come too late, so we won't need any oil. You know, one can surmise that just by reading that part. But he says there, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Hmm. So, how, how, is, it, how is this like, like any servant today of the Lord? I mean, it, it, it's still very true and applicable today. We have an opportunity to be prepared. All of these young women were eligible. They were eligible virgins. They were ready to be married. They met the standard of the day. They weren't defiled by anything else. So they were all ready to be part of a marriage relationship. But were they were they meeting those those things required of a good of a good virgin, of a good marital opportunity. Were they faithful? Were they obedient? Yes, they I mean they were they were faithful. They hadn't been defiled. But one of the things that you notice is were they ready? Mm-hmm. They had all the resources given to them and they were not ready. We have the same opportunity, we have the same tools. We have the oil. <laughs> we have the oil. We have the Word of God. We have the New Testament covenant that we have an opportunity to partake in. And we're given steps for how to be, how to present ourselves as faithful unto the Lord. But do we truly take and apply those things, and are we truly prepared for the impending arrival of the Lord? Some will and some won't, unfortunately. But he says there, but the prudent answered saying, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some some for yourself. Well, it's not that they didn't give them an opportunity to be prepared, but they wouldn't have enough to be prepared themselves. Yeah. So it wasn't that they were being unkind to them. But, you know, you ever had that one person that you've dealt with that's always totally unprepared? And after so long, it's like, okay, why are you not prepared? You know, I always had that one friend in school. Show up to school, you're supposed to have pen, paper, and any other supplies you needed for school. How many people do you know that showed up without half those things? There's a lot of people that showed up most days. Yeah. Right? Can I borrow a pen? <laughs> Can I have some paper? Can I see your homework? No. 
You can't see my homework. You do your own. <laughs> I'll help you with your homework if you'll get prepared. <laughs> yeah, if it was prepared before you mm -hmm. got to school. So, you know, I'll help you with your next assignment. Just come see me at my house and we will work through the problem. Yeah. So, they all knew this and I'm... You know, I'm not going to jump out of limb there and assume all these facts that aren't disclosed here, but but you know that there was an opportunity for them to be prepared. They knew he was coming. They just didn't know exactly what hour he was going to be there. It said he delayed. So are we the same way? Are we being prepared each day for our service to the Lord and his return? I think there are some folks that are going to be sadly disappointed when the Lord returns. Well, you got to work on it every day. It's, I mean, it's an everyday work. He says, And while they are going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who weren't ready went in with him at the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Kaput. Mm -hmm. Final. And they called on him, and he says, I don't know you. Truly, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Right. We do not physically know the day nor the hour of the Lord's return, but we do know one thing. Time draws on. We see the things being fulfilled that the Lord that the Lord said would happen, and we better be prepared for it. Otherwise, our reward will be just like these five foolish virgins. The door shut. No admittance. <laughs> so Faithful or unfaithful, we got we've got we've got a choice. But are we going to be happy with the choice we made when the time comes? So, being a servant, if we're servants of the Lord, we entered into this agreement because we want to serve the Lord. We want to be pleasing. We want to 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 do the things that He's mentioned us, but faithfully. But we've said we did. Are we going to back it up? <laughs> So that was the, the purpose and intent was to kind of go back over and look at a couple of those places and kind of went hand in hand with what we talked about a little bit this morning with regards to being a steward or a servant. And that's what we have this evening. Amen. Anything else? Have you left us the book? <laughs>